1: It's one of the least likely stories in the art world. The discovery of a lost painting by one of the greatest artists who ever lived at a New Orleans auction house. It was bought for peanuts and within less than 20 years its value increased beyond all imaginings. Salvatore Mundi by none other than Leonardo da Vinci was sold for the highest price ever commanded at an auction. $450 million. But that's just the start of the story told in a new documentary by Danish director Andreas Kofod. The film is called The Lost Leonardo and Andreas joins us on the line from Copenhagen. Hi Andreas, how are
2: you? I'm fine, thanks.
1: How big a deal is it to discover any painting by Leonardo da Vinci?
2: Well, it's a very big deal. There are only 15 known Leonardo da Vinci paintings in the world right now and the last time a new painting by him was discovered is more than a hundred years ago. So it's something that is completely rare. It's something that an art historian or an art dealer can only dream about finding.
1: Why are there so few? I mean, did they get lost or did he not complete that many, Leonardo?
2: He was busy with many other things. He was a very busy scientist as well. When he painted, he would sometimes spend years on just one painting and he would also have a workshop with several pupils and students who would uh, carry out different paintings on their own. And then, of course, there are a few that are lost, but as far as I have understood, it's just a few.
1: Now, this painting is called Salvatore Mundi, The Saviour of the World. Had anybody actually heard of it before it came up
2: yeah it's been like a myth almost because Mm -hmm. several of leonardo's students have painted the same motif called salvator mundi so so we know of 20 30 different versions different copies but the the big question was did leonardo himself ever paint an original of this motif that has been discussed for many years between art historians. This painting was actually known in the 20th century when it was a part of the Cook Collection. But the challenge was that it had been overpainted before that. So it didn't really look like a Leonardo. It looked like something else. So when the people who found it in 2005 in New Orleans, uh, they got it to New York, They cleaned it, and then they could see that there were some fantastic details underneath.
1: I need to know why he bought it in the first place, because it sounds a bit of a mess when uh, Alexander Parrish found the painting in New Orleans.
2: That's right, but his profession is actually to find uh, undiscovered masterpieces, so I think he he takes some chances. I mean, he he didn't see it in real life before he bought it, so he just took a chance and paid $1,100 and then there was a jackpot
1: but before that they needed to get somebody in who was going to restore it and they brought in Diane Modestini who seems to be quite a major character in this story
2: exactly she was a she is a world famous restorer and she got the painting in and showed it to her husband who was also a very famous restorer he passed away A little after this, and she started making the restoration and spent four years with the painting and created almost like a bubble around herself and the painting and got this very special relation with the painting. Mm.
1: There was some idea that it might have been from the school of Leonardo or one of his pupils, but she suddenly started to get an idea that it was by Leonardo himself. I mean, how do you authenticate a a Leonardo painting?
2: It's not just up to one person to authenticate a a painting. It's something that takes years. Normally, it's something that involves a number of scholars, a number of examinations of the painting. And in this case, it happened a little fast. The National Gallery in London, they were planning for a big Leonardo da Vinci exhibition in 2011. And they heard of this painting and the director saw it in New York. And then they invited it for further inspection at the National Gallery in in London. And they invited five scholars to look at it. And the the atmosphere was positive. These different scholars discussed it back and forth, but they never really gave a formal opinion. But anyway, the National Gallery decided to label it as an autograph, uh, Da Vinci, and they were completely convinced that it was by da Vinci.
1: An autograph Leonardo means he did it all. He didn't just do bits of it and hand it to his pupils. This is all his own work sort of thing.
2: Exactly. But then later on, this whole process of authentication was criticised heavily by other Leonardo scholars and Mm. other art historians who said, well, they should have waited before giving it this label. It should have been like an open discussion for years And then at some point, they might have reached a consensus among all the scholars that this was actually a da Vinci.
1: Now, I need to ask here, Andreas, when did you become involved in this? When did you first find out about this story?
2: Well, it was actually some months after it was sold at Christie's. I got involved in the spring 2018, and I heard about the story, and I I mean, it was new to me because uh, I don't have a particular interest in the art world. I make documentary films about all different kind of things. And for me, the story was new, but it was intriguing in so many ways and had so many layers. I felt it was definitely worthwhile pursuing this idea.
1: And I noticed that the basic question kept shifting because initially you're asking, is it authentic? And after a while, you're starting to think, how dodgy is the entire art world? Everybody seems to have vested interests, don't they?
2: Exactly. In a way, the whole authenticity question becomes irrelevant because it's more about everything that happens around the painting more than the painting itself. You see how dealers and buyers are interested in art because they can use it in a certain way. They can make money of it. They can hide money. By investing in art, one can even buy art as a trophy, as a tool, as a geopolitical tool to obtain power. As you see with Mohammed bin Salman, the the Saudi prince who ends up being the owner of it. He has probably bought it as his own Mona Lisa that he can use to rebrand Saudi Arabia as a more cultural nation. So it, it, it has a lot of potential, a small old damaged painting like this.
1: I found that the story of the auction in which the Saudi crown prince bought it was fascinating because that was nothing like the figure that they thought it was going to go for. They had a kind of a target figure of a lot of money, over $100 million, but it just kept going up.
2: It seems like there were at least two bidders who were ready to pay a lot of money. I mean, it's very simple when there are two bidders at an auction who really want this object then the price goes up, especially if they have unlimited uh, resources. There was definitely a lot of interest in this object. And I think it's because it's, it's Leonardo, there are so few in the world. Yeah, it has huge potential to own a Da Vinci, uh, as you can see, with the Mona Lisa and, and, and other Da Vinci's.
1: One point that you bring up in the film is the fact that truth becomes less and less important to these people. It's, it's in fact more important for them that it be worth a lot of money than whether it actually is an authentic Leonardo or not. I mean, nobody seems to have any interest in finding out at the end.
2: That's true. The, the, the challenge is that it's, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to determine whether he painted it or somebody in his circle painted it. So in a way, the big institutions here, they kind of benefit from this doubt and, and they, they just go on and uh, authenticate it because it, they have more interest in it being authentic than it not being authentic. In, in a way, the whole curiosity for examining it further, it, mm. it disappears because it's not really of their interest. The question is also whether it's at all possible to get closer to the truth.
1: I found it interesting, the uh, some of the people that you talked to, including scholars, and they became very personally involved, didn't they? Once you take a position, it's very hard to get them to move from
2: it. It's very competitive, uh, this world of Leonardo scholars. And in a way, when you stick your neck out and share your opinion on a specific piece of art, it's a kind of risky business because if it turns out you're wrong, you will be accused of not being a, a good scholar. It takes a lot of guts, actually, to speak out about these things, especially when you're kind of missing real examinations and real proof, when it's just your opinion and what you see with your eye that you share. It's risky business. And and I experienced that with several of, of the scholars that I wanted to approach that they didn't really want to touch on this subject, because they know it's it's very controversial.
1: There was another Leonardo exhibition in Paris shortly after the one in London that kicked this whole thing off, and they weren't particularly keen on putting this painting up as, a, as an authentic Leonardo.
2: I still actually don't know exactly what happened behind the, the closed doors at the Louvre, because one of my sources within the Louvre told me that they had always believed... It to be a Leonardo since they saw it the first time in in 2010, I believe. But leading up to this exhibition, there were so many rumors. Did they want to include it? Did the Saudi Prince want to include it or not? As far as we understood, the Saudi Prince insisted on the painting being shown next to Mona Lisa in the same room, and Louvre rejected that because first of all, it it was impossible for them logistically to have these two world-famous paintings in the same room, simply because of the, the crowd would be too big. They didn't want to move the Mona Lisa because it's so fragile. But I also think there was an element of saying, well, the Salvatore Mundi is not equal to the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa is something special. Apparently, they rejected this. This demand from the Saudi prince what is happening now probably is that he will exhibit the painting in his own museum in Saudi Arabia at some point because then he can control everything around it he is apparently also a bit paranoid around all the criticism that has faced this painting if it turns out that he bought the world's most expensive painting and it turns out not to be authentic then he will look like a fool and he's he's not interested in that
1: I think that one question that only gets asked once or twice in the film also, Andreas, is... Is it any good? Aside from, you know, how valuable it is and the fact that even a bad painting by Leonardo, were such a thing possible, would still be worth the money that you pay for it. But one of the critics was saying it's not even a good painting. I mean, there's something rather wobbly about one of the fingers, isn't there? And
2: Yeah, and- yeah, it's, I mean, it's not up to me to judge. I'm, I'm not a paintings expert at all. And I've never seen it real life. So for me, it's difficult to judge. Many of the people i talked to who saw it in real life, they say it has a certain presence and a certain power, and it's very fascinating when you stand in front of it. So I, I hope that I one day can see it with my own eyes.
1: I think it has the same sort of power as anybody worth $450 million, I think. As soon as one of those people walks into the room, immediately you're drawn to them.
2: Yeah, it also poses an interesting question. How does it affect you as a viewer when you're told this is a long-lost masterpiece by Da Vinci, the best artist who ever lived, and he painted Christ (laughs) in this painting? Yeah, how does it affect you as a viewer? I think you become more engaged and more seduced by it when you have that knowledge compared to if, if you just see it without knowing anything about it. So it's also a question of how vulnerable are we to be manipulated a bit about yeah, many things in the world and the stories that we are told, how, how do they affect us? I think we have a, t- a tendency to, to really wanting to believe in, in the fairy tale.
1: Another question that you ask at the end of the film, Andres, is just the idea of what is the point of art? Is the point of art to be taken by somebody wealthy and hidden in a bank and never shown to anyone, or does great art belong to the world?
2: Exactly, and and what we have seen the past many years is that extremely wealthy people, they invest in art and they basically stuck it away and never show it to anybody. Uh, and for me, it's a huge loss for humanity that we can't even uh, share and enjoy these fantastic paintings. I don't know how to deal with that issue because when you own something, you can decide where to put it. But I I would wish that these extremely wealthy people, that they would decide to share their beautiful objects more with, with the world.
1: At the end of all this, what do you think? Do you think it's a fake or not?
2: I have decided to remain open because I think there's still more to come with this story. There's, there will still be more more examinations and, and, and more new angles on it. And I think it's more uh, interesting to let the viewer become the detective in this story than imposing my own point of view.
1: That's Andreas Kofa, the director of the new documentary feature, The Vos Leonardo, currently showing in cinemas. It's an absolutely fascinating story of art, hidden treasure, politics and greed. And as Andreas says, the story of Salvatore Mundi is far from over.
0: Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long